You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 14, Altered Realities. Is anybody out there? Eggman. You are the Eggman. I am the Eggman. I am the walrus. Cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> okay. Harry, when was the last time you ate a steak and thought about the animal? I have to be honest with you. Uh, at Thanksgiving, I didn't think about the animal, but I have in the past thought about the animal I was consuming. But I think the point of this question is are we aware of the world we're living in fully? And do we acknowledge where things come from, et cetera? And most of the time we don't, right? We are, mm-hmm. Our perception is narrow and in the moment. True. So I'm using a pencil and uh, I take it for granted and I have no thought about how many people went into the making of that pencil from the miners who mine the graphite mm-hmm. to the, the woodworkers, to the distributors, to the truck drivers who deliver them to the stores, to the retailers, all of that. It's out of my mind when I'm using it. So bringing it back to this discussion, do you think that affects our reality? Of course. It defines the scope of our reality when we filter so much out of the moment, if you know what I mean. Yes. And it's almost like we're afraid to, or we think we can't contain all of that stuff in our consciousness and be in the moment and carry on through our day-to-day lives. We reduce everything to a condensed version? Yeah. I mean, you can't keep in mind the fact that there are, at least in Toronto, four to five odd million people rolling around on this earth with all kinds of different thoughts and ideas and systems and predilections and all that stuff. All these things are happening simultaneously to us sitting down and doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that we predominantly live in a world where we look at things from a perspective of height, width, depth, and time? Yeah, the intellectual revolution, the rational revolution, if you like, where rationalism kind of overtook the idea that the spirit was informing everything. Science now has rule in that respect, and that informs everything, informs how we see the world, It informs how we move our bodies in the world and how we think about our bodies Mm -hmm. as physical objects Mm -hmm. rather than as spiritual manifestations of something else. Right. So we can agree that those are the basic four elements that we're using as a general measuring stick in our day-to-day life. Well, with the exception that time is one of the four that is most often forgotten, really. It's not really taken into account fully. The other is, yes, of course, depth, height, width. All that. But we do tend to live our day-to-day life around a clock. Yeah, uh, an artificial rendering of how time is broken down. Mm -hmm. This is a Western concept primarily that's been created over the centuries. And that also in some ways connects to our whole idea of the three-tier system that we kind of consciously or unconsciously live by, which is heaven, earth, and hell. Mm -hmm. Again, a Christian view. But they are all altered states because we can't really quantify either heaven or 
hell. Yeah. And earth, we just measure it by the standards that we know of and we just described. So even without being aware of it, man is on a constant quest for something beyond his own world. Sure. We have these things in society that are sanctioned conduits to altered states, including alcohol, soon to be marijuana, even smoking cigarettes induces an altered state, if you like. So we have lots of portals to those other worlds. Even an incredible masterpiece of music will transport us to another place inwardly. And we seek those experiences out, as you say, to broaden our understanding of who we are, at, not just as physical beings, but as consciousness. Mm -hmm. you, know? you brought up uh, music or artists. Yeah. And that ties into something I read recently. And there seems to be a correlation in that the more a person daydreams, typically the more creative they are in their output. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, because what is an artist but a boundary breaker or a boundary leaper? The boundary between this world and an imaginary world is dissolved in the artist's psyche so that they then create their work with that in mind. Artists have to be fluid in the way they move from one world to the next world to the next. That's the nature of the artistic adventure, is to be fluid adventurers of consciousness. So do you think in today's world, with the plethora of information, or should I say plethora of information concerning many different theories of alternate realities, you think people are seeking ways to explore these realms? Well, we're in a way being forced into it anyway through the creation of the virtual digital world, which is an alternative reality in and of itself. And we have to enter into that world now every day. Many, many times during the day, we enter into that other world that wasn't there 50 years ago. True. It was not there. That world was not in existence. Did it exist then and we just didn't know it? Or is it something we have actually created out of nothing? Back in the 1980s or so, there was this New Age movement. It was called the New Age movement. And the resurgence of yoga and meditation and Eastern philosophies and uh, psychism and channeling and all that stuff was a kind of a, a seeking. People were seeking alternative realities in different ways then especially after the point where, for example, LSD was banned mm -hmm. as a legal substance. People sought other ways of getting there. You know, Think about the Beatles with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and their Eastern period. Mid-60s. That was, yeah, in 70s. That was when they mm -hmm. did that stuff, right? And it manifested in their music. Absolutely. We're in a time now where I think people are looking to escape the cyber world that is sort of closing in on us from every direction by going to meditation classes where you can just kind of be quiet and be away from information. Loosen things up for ourselves to explore, right? Yeah, because we're, 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 we're shut in boxes of all kinds. Whichever way we turn in our current world, there's a bylaw preventing us from doing X. There's a traffic law preventing us from doing Y. There's a social law preventing us from telling the truth to someone about whatever we're feeling. There are all these 
blocks put in the way of freedom and of fluidity. And I think the artist in everyone is fighting against that in some way, shape, or form. And using all the substances is a way of getting beyond that. It's not enough to just explore the common time-space world that we live in. Yeah, we want to get beyond the known and explore the unknown. You know, these people also signing up for these rocket ships that will go to the moon Mm -hmm. and back commercially. Uh, These people want to explore, get out, get off the planet, experience something quite new. We crave newness. We crave novelty. But what we get is fashion, mostly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's too thin. It's too temporary. How do you think that ties in with our current fascination with or changing to, for example, the legalization of marijuana? That's fascinating, really, when you think of it. It's been a long time coming, and it will be interesting to see whether more people will try this herb uh, now that it's legal, or whether it will just be people who would smoke it anyway, going and smoking it legally. How would you characterize the opposition? Well, the opposition will always have the same sort of stale arguments about it being a gateway drug, which we know it isn't, about it being dangerous to your health, like cigarettes, which we know it isn't, all of these things. I mean, you can abuse any substance. You can abuse toast and harm yourself. We don't ban toast. So the government is being cautious enough and bringing it in slowly enough that I think it'll be fine. People aren't going to be freaking out and jumping off buildings and that sort of stuff. I mean, I will try it when it becomes legal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have had marijuana before many years ago, but I will test what they're selling out there just to see what it's like. Sure. So daydreams, again, bringing it back to daydreams in a simple form, you know, they, they can be an imagination of new adventures without taking any risks. They can allow your mind to kind of roam freely. It is said to aid creativity. In fact, a lot of artists will always tell you that some of their best work comes at the most unexpected Oh, sure. I've had had, uh, stories come to me in my semi-sleep in the middle of the night, and I'll wake up and I'll be in that in-between place, and this strange narrative will will be flowing through me, and I'm going, wow, this is interesting, and then I will use it in a story. Right, but that's also because you're paying attention to the content of your daydreams. A lot of the times, we're not even aware of them, right? Right. Let's say daydreaming becomes addictive or compulsive. Hmm then it overwhelms normal functioning or it impedes relationships and work. Well, yeah, but here's the question. I mean, we have created our society based upon consensus of appropriate activity, appropriate words and actions, lawfulness, all of those things we sort of take for granted, right, Mm -hmm. that make up the nuts and bolts and the skeleton of our society and our day-to-day life. Maybe the daydreamer is living a more authentic life, maybe, you know, right. uh, than the person whose nose is to the grindstone, who goes to work every day and is a model citizen, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that consensus is not the most healthy for the human being than an altered place or a place where we allow for X amount of daydreaming to happen, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a normal human function. And as I said, in moderation, it's a safe place to be. You have the freedom to sort of go there, recharge your batteries, lose yourself temporarily without it harming you or those around you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I realize now that sometimes when I'm reading about or I talk to people who are much more versed in the whole field of mental health, it's helping me understand now that a lot of mental health issues emanate from an excessive form of, in some ways, of daydreaming or living in an alternative reality that gets away from you. And maybe that's why these diagnoses for schizophrenia or other mental ailments, which typically the average person doesn't understand beyond layman's terms, is really what it's addressing. It's addressing individuals who've lost their ability to keep it measured. Yeah, but here's the thing. In traditional cultures, as you may know, if the society recognized an individual who daydreamed a lot, they would actually see them as a kind of seer or Mm. someone adept at imagination, and they'd want to cultivate that in them and not put them away and, and call them schizophrenic and sick, but would actually recognize that they have a particular skill set Mm. involving the inner life. And they would then listen to them when they had a dream or a daydream, and they would tell the story of the dream, and the community would either act on it or, or respond to it in some way. So it's only in the West that we take people who are different like that and consider them abnormal and put them away, etc., and, and stigmatize them. It's common for people to ridicule sometimes people who study dreams or who tell you to actually analyze your dreams, that it will tell you a lot about where you are and what you're going through and, and where you're going. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people go, oh, yeah, sure, right? They don't give it the credibility that perhaps it warrants. I mean, there are lots of aspects of dreaming that are just kind of, and it's true, it's kind of the mind processing flashes and images and sounds and that you've gone through during the day or the week and it kind of creates these strange scenarios and they, they're really not that much to, you don't have to latch on to everything as some profound imagination. But uh, on the other hand, there are times when those images are rather important and they're kind of images that are larger than just what your life is about. They're revealing in some way. They're they're revelations. You know, that's where the word revelation comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Revelations are these inner imaginations and thoughts that, when revealed, are really important to the world and to the society you live in. So, as I said before, we need to allow each other space to do these things, to daydream, to imagine to use alternative substances to to get into different states of consciousness and to explore those places, and then to come back and tell the stories of our journeys there. So let, let me ask you a question regarding personal use. At some point in your life, in your teens, you decided to experiment with drugs. Yeah, it wasn't in my teens. It was actually at university. I was probably 24, 25 years old. When my first uh, drug that I chose to ingest was mescaline. Not marijuana or hashish, but mescaline. Any particular reason why? Well, it was available, and somebody said, would you like to try this? And I hadn't done the other stuff. I just thought, okay, let's try this to start with. I was ready to do some experimenting. And I have to say, it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. It was one of those opening the doors of perception. Would you consider it life-altering in some way? Yes, Life-altering in the sense that my experience of the world and of reality, of myself, of my body, of everything I perceived was loosened up 
it was sort of unmoored from the foundations of my experience, of my normal experience. And I realized that what we experience as the world isn't what it is. It's a simulation of something, but there are other elements that are present that we don't see in the same way that science can only measure X amount of measurements until their measuring system runs out, and then they can't measure it anymore. And why do you think that you waited as long as you did to experiment? Well, I was a good Jewish boy, and I, I didn't do anything crazy and strange. And I was, you know, so university and meeting people at university helped to loosen me up and give me experiences I hadn't uh, had before. So you had to actually change your thinking before you could even explore that realm. In a way, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the people you meet. And you meet these people and they seem to be freed up in different ways. And you go, how did they get there? And they got there in different ways, including uh, taking drugs. And so you do. And you explore. Right. But the key element there, though, is that you had to sort of change your thinking even to begin the exploration. And I'm suggesting that that's a lot of what holds a lot of what we do typically in our everyday life back in that even people who are opposed to things that they've never tried or experienced. Mm -hmm. It comes primarily from not changing their thinking or their viewpoint to developing other things. With marijuana, for example, I have used marijuana and I have used hash on a few occasions. I haven't really explored the other drugs, so I really can't say much about them in terms of the experience. But I went in it at the age of 18 or 19, very seldom, but I did it with a purpose in mind. I wanted to really explore if I would experience something differently. Did you? Yes, I did. I did. My very first experience, I was actually playing chess for the very first time. I'd never played chess, but I was talking to someone who had played chess, and I was fascinated by the game, the intricacies of the game and so on. So my first experience uh, had nothing to do with drugs. It had to do with the conversation I was having with this individual. And suddenly I thought, well, this is a good time as any to try this. Given the complexity of this particular game, which I had never played, it seemed like a lot of information to assimilate in any one sitting. Oddly enough, that first experience was extremely positive in that I was not paranoid at all. And my mind went to places that I didn't think were possible and not only did I play the game well, but I, I was doing things that I know I did not have the skills to do with the rudimentary information that I had at that point. Mm -hmm. Even though I never went beyond marijuana or hash, I think in part because my particular reasoning was very specific. And again, I'm only surmising here because I don't know enough to really say, but there's a difference between exploring your mind and filling a void. Yeah, sure. That's people, the way I see it. There are people who turn to drugs because they're just bored with life or they're pissed off with their parents or whatever. And uh, yes, there's a lot of abuse of these substances in that way. Someone who just does drugs and acts irresponsibly on a total escapism to me is a very different experience from someone who in a premeditated form actually goes out to explore, like a Timothy Leary, for example, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who underwent vast amount of drug use. Right. And yet I listened to his conversations 20 years in, and he seemed quite rational and not beside himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at uh, Terence McKenna, another example. 
died in 1990. He explored, you know, psychedelic drugs mm -hmm. uh, from the Amazon, many journeys down there, took teacher plants and explored those worlds. And when you listen to him, there are many YouTube videos of him. He is a brilliant speaker, sharpest mind you'd ever want to have in a person, mm -hmm. very intelligent, and no sense that his mind has become warped or something because he did all these psychedelic drugs, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't have to be debilitating if you're thoughtful about how you approach the alternate reality. Yes, but don't you think that right now the debate we're facing with the legalization, don't you think that's one of the preeminent problems and that a lot of people who oppose it may be opposing it for the wrong reasons? Yeah, of course. Of course they are. No, you can argue against anything on both sides. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the people who were in favor of prohibition, although they were more religious types in a way, mm -hmm. a lot of their arguments are good arguments with, in terms of alcohol especially, because it's much more dangerous as a substance than marijuana is in terms of mind-altering, etc. Well, you or I are of that thinking. Not everybody is. No, but the, the, the statistics right. don't lie. And when you look at how many deaths and injuries due to uh, alcohol consumption, and you compare that to marijuana, there is no comparison. Alcohol is clearly the more dangerous uh, substance when it's abused. Talking about the results uh, in terms of families, in terms of traffic accidents, etc. Uh, you don't see that with marijuana use, really. I'm not 100% sure on this, but I don't think there's been one death that's been attributed specifically mm -hmm. I think to that, marijuana, but I, I don't know too. how valid that is. I've but. heard that too, yeah, yeah. It's really a tempest in a teapot, you know, the opposition and all this stuff. Marijuana is just something that should have been legalized a long, long time ago. And maybe alcohol should have been reined in a bit more in some form or other. Then you've got all your opioids. Now we have an opioid crisis. Yes. Thanks to the pharmaceutical industry, thanks to doctors over-prescribing pain medications. Yes. Right? All of these things sanctioned by the society we live in and yet extremely dangerous and debilitating and a lot worse than a marijuana high. Well, sanctioned because there's a, there's a huge profit motive. Right. Uh, not about really educating people to things so that they can make informed decisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've always seen changing your state of mind to raising your level of desire. Yeah, and what does we say we get high? What does that mean? Well, it means everything is heightened. Right. Our, the word in itself is describing what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, our, our senses are heightened. How we listen, the, the words we hear and use are of a different order. Right. right. So the irony is actually, in some ways, we look for alternate realities to remove the noise from our existing reality. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And refocus in a different way. Oh, The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at ConnectingDotsMedia.com.